0: Hey, what's up, guys? Another episode of Eastman's Elevated coming up. So, um, boy, we're approaching our 30th episode, or this is our 30th episode. Um, I'm just so thrilled with the direction of this podcast and, and where this thing's going. And we've had on some great guests and, and great guests coming up. And, and we're just hitting our stride and kind of finding our niche in this, this podcasting industry. So thanks to you guys and all the support you've given me. You know, I really appreciate it and, and can't wait to see where this venture goes. Um, so today on the podcast, I've got on Craig Temple. Um, you know, I've just kind of met Craig Temple and then I've gotten to know him through phone conversations and he's just a great guy and, and a diehard bow hunter. I mean, this guy, you know, lives, eats, and breathes bow hunting. He's always preparing for next season and shares some tips on that and then, um, you know, he he's just uh he's he's just a wealth of knowledge. He gets to hunt a bunch of different species up there in Canada, you know, bighorn sheep and he gets to hunt moose and elk and mule deer and, and and he's a diehard whitetail guy too. Um but he's just full of good information and and some great stories in there, and so you guys are gonna enjoy today's episode. Um this episode's brought to you by Liberty Safes. So um boy, I mean everybody should have a safe in their house to keep their their guns. Um locked up and bows and valuables and that and then also to protect against uh fires. You know, I know you know in today's day and age, you know, all of our pictures and videos are all on our computers or, or backup hard drives. You know, you should really be locking up one of those hard drives in a fireproof Uh, safe, you know, where just in case anything was to happen, you don't lose all those memories. But, um, you know, I just think it's really important. Lock up your guns, lock up your bows, lock up your valuables. Um, Liberty safes, go check them out, guys. Um, Also, over there at the Eastman's office, so we're 30 years as a company and coming out with our 30-year anniversary magazine. And and with that, we're doing some giveaways. And one of the giveaways we're going to do is a Liberty safe. Um, So sign up and subscribe for Eastman's for the magazine and be entered in the drawing to win a Liberty safe Um, So that's really cool a really cool thing that Eastman's is doing Um, So gosh, I mean with that, let's get this thing rolling Um, Craig Temple Eastman's elevated. Here we go All right, I'm here with Craig Temple. Craig, how are you tonight?
1: I'm doing good. How are you Brian?
0: Yeah, I'm good Man, it's good to talk to you. We talked on the phone a couple times here and kind of getting to know you. Uh, you're one of the new writers for Eastman's and you're writing in the internet blog, so uh, happy to have you in the family.
1: Yeah, no thanks. Looking forward to uh, looking forward to doing some more stuff in the future there for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, I've been following your social media and we kind of met each other through social media. Um, and so it looks like you're up in Canada, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, up in here, uh, central Central Alberta, so Edmonton, just east of Edmonton, on an acreage, and uh, yeah, Alberta, Alberta, Canada, A. <laughs> <laughs> a. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's funny how everybody that I, everybody that I meet, all the Americans that I meet, they're all like A, A. I'm like, no, no, you're you're using it wrong. You got to use it in the right spots. So we'll uh, by the end of the podcast, we'll get you saying A.
0: Yeah, A, a? and then I hear you say right a lot too.
1: Right, 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 right,
0: right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one I use too. Like I'm in Montana, so close to the border. I don't know where I pick that up, but uh, just, it does seem natural even when you say it. For sure. Yeah, right.
1: Right, right.
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, you're just a diehard bow hunter up there. And um, man, it sounds like you've had some awesome adventures up there. You get a lot of opportunity up where you're at to hunt with your bow up there.
1: Yeah, we've got, I mean, we've got some, we're pretty blessed up here in Alberta. We've got some awesome, awesome, awesome opportunities. There's, uh, really with, with over the counter tags, you can shoot, uh, you can shoot moose, elk, uh, white tail, mule deer, uh, black bear, um, and we've even got bighorn sheep that you can hunt over the counter, um, even with rifle, but, uh, bow hunting, there's, uh, there's a certain zone in central Alberta that's, uh, archery only. So that, I mean, that, Produces more opportunities for guys that don't have to go into the into the rifle zones. But yeah, we've got lots and lots of opportunities over the counter stuff. And then I mean, there's draws, there's limited entry stuff. Uh, Most of our stuff works on uh, priority, the priority system. Some of them are random lottery, but most of it's priority system. So you sort of get an idea once you have a certain amount of points and historically what the statistics are whether you're going to get the tag or not that year. But yeah, no, we've got some awesome stuff up here. Definitely a wide a wide variety of of game to hunt.
0: Oh, man, and and so, you know, I, we talked about it a little bit earlier, and then I saw on your social media, you've actually harvested one of those rams with your bow.
1: Yeah, yeah, back, uh, I think it was fall of 2013, um, I I had been drawing for, well, it started way, way back. Uh, one of my dad's friends and my friend, Richard Schatz, his name was, he, uh, he says, yeah, you should start applying for this bighorn sheep tag. And I was like, Oh, and he's like with a bow and arrow. I'm like, is that even possible? He says, well, guys, kill it. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I'll start trying. So, uh, I applied for probably seven or eight years. And then I thought, Oh, this is stupid. I'm never going to, I'm never going to kill a sheep with my bow. And then I thought, ah, I better build up those points more. So I got the points up to 10, 10, points, which is what I needed to, uh, to draw the tag and drew that tag in 2013. And, uh, it was, uh, I mean, it was nothing short of an adventure. It was it was crazy. It was the last two weeks in November. We were able to able to hunt in the rut and uh, went in there, packed a wall tent in in October, um, and uh, and lived out of the wall tent. It was like I don't know what you guys minus thirty Celsius up here. So I don't know what it is. Everybody everybody listens to the podcast. Me pulling out their calculators. It's cold. It's uh, it's super super cold.
0: Uh, yeah, minus well, 30 Celsius. zero Celsius is. Um well, zero Celsius is freezing, thirty-two degrees, yeah, right? That's
1: thirty-two. Gosh,
0: yeah. I've got my Google machine right here in front of me. So, what do
1: you say? I think they meet somewhere's around minus thirty. I think minus thirty is minus thirty. I think they meet somewhere in around there.
0: Oh man, that is frigid! It's, it's oh my gosh! Yeah, so you packed in a wall tent. You've got a rut tag, so they're starting to chase around use, and then just yeah. I, you know, I can imagine just giant mountain range, right, for those things
1: yeah it was i mean they're they're the they're the rocky mountains so they're they're big um and where we decided to uh uh we packed our packed our wall tent in in october and uh when we got uh when we got it up there we stashed it and went in i think it was November fourteenth or something like that uh so we had the last two weeks we packed in uh packed in our packs pulled in uh uh, those calf sleds those little black toboggans okay. uh, full of more gear chainsaw and all that fun stuff packed way back in there and then uh and then lived out of the wall tent and we every morning we'd get up at like five in the morning and boil snow and pour it into uh pour it into instant oatmeal and and instant coffee and then hike up the mountain be up the mountain first light and you'd hunt around the mountain all day and try to make a move on a ram and i mean we i mean i think it was the first night we saw a good ram we didn't know exactly if he was legal or not um there's lots of sheep up there uh lots of ewes lots of young rams and we only saw one the whole time we were there 14 days we only saw one legal ram and uh on day i think it was day three um i had him at 60 yards broadside and i was at full draw and the wind was calm and and i was i had been shooting lots that year i was i was ready to kill him and and we couldn't tell if he's legal or not because they have to be four fifths curl, and we he was facing straight at us, so we couldn't tell if he's legal. So anyway, I had to let him walk, and he busted down into some timber with some other rams, and uh, and then I couldn't find him. Found him again on I think it was day six on some nasty cliffs. Um, watched him; he wasn't coming up out of the cliffs. Finally, on day nine, found him again down there. And uh, Andrew, my hunting partner, and I we decided to circle around the mountain and. Come down, uh, come down on a stock, and we made the cardinal mistake in not making a landmark where that ram was bedded. And uh, we thought he was one more corner until Andrew says, "Oh crap, Craig, he's right there." <laughs> huh. and the ram stood up at 40 yards and and blew out of there. So that was uh, that was pretty disappointing. And uh, strapped my bow on my pack. We climbed out of there, climbed all the way to the top, got to the top pretty much at dark. And uh, I went for a drink of water, and I look at my pack, and I go, "No." My bow, my quiver, my quiver fell off my bow somewhere way down in those cliffs. And that was like, (laughs) that was four hours of hiking to get back up to where we were. And I had no clue where it was. So some of the timber must have knocked it off. So we headed back down to the wall tent that night. It was pretty quiet that night in the tent. And uh, I had more arrows. So um, I grabbed more arrows, screwed some more broadheads on. And, and uh, Andrew had his bow, but he didn't have a sheep tag. So he, was, uh, he had an elk tag. And a, no, no mule deer tag. He had an elk tag. So he says, well, why don't you take my quiver? So I was carrying a quiver and carrying my bow. And, uh, we're seeing lots of, sh- lots of sheep up there, but, uh, and super cold. There was days where it was like that minus 30, but there was 60 mile per hour winds, which you couldn't even stand up in like, it's knocking you on, it's knocking you off your feet. It was unreal up there. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, thank goodness for, uh, for a wind stopper. Oh man, without, without something to block the wind, you'd be hooped. But, uh, so anyway, finally day 14, um, Andrew looks at me and he says, well, We got two options either we continue north and look in the same area that we've been looking and see if there's more rams that have showed up overnight or we go back down we try to find your quiver and maybe we get lucky and see if we can find where that ram went to and I said sounds like a deal save me a couple hundred bucks in arrows and a quiver so we went way down followed our tracks and there we go found my quiver and found the ram tracks and followed him down to where he went he went deeper into the timber and and, uh, came around a little corner on a cliff and a little ledge there and I peeked my head around the corner. I'm like, "Holy smokes, Andrew!" He's like, right there. He's 20 yards away, bedded down, and uh, and he's like, "Can you shoot?" I'm like, "Nope." I got to move up a little closer. So I got in closer to the cliff, and it was like like straight up above us. It was probably I don't know 7,500 feet straight up sheer cliff above us, and we only had about a maybe a four foot, five foot ledge that we were walking along around the corner. And I had an arrow knocked my release on. I peeked around the corner, and all I could see was horns. He was he was bedded at eight yards from me. And, uh, my foot, uh, my, it was crunchy snow and my foot crunched in the snow and he jumped up out of his bed and bolted and I drew back and and he stopped at 15 yards. And I, uh, I mean, that was settling the pin there and and squeezing off the shot was, I'll never forget that. That was, that was crazy. Anyways, uh, pinwheeled him, hit him right in the heart and he jumped off about a 10 foot ledge and, uh, only made it about 30 yards. And that was that. And then it was time to pack him out.
0: Oh man, what a wild adventure. That is so killer. I mean, that's what, that's what bow hunting dreams are made of. Um, man, the trials and tribulations with all the cold weather and snow and up on that mountain trying to survive. I mean, that takes a lot of determination to just keep after it It day after day.
1: Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was definitely the hardest thing, um, hardest thing I've ever done. And when I say hardest thing I've ever done, it wasn't just, I mean, it was physical. I trained for, I think it was 10, almost 11 months before that, um, really seriously training for that hunt. Um, but, the one thing that was so hard was the mental game, um, like to prepare mentally, just to just to be there mentally and not give up, not give up. I mean, Andrew is stubborn like crazy and I'm stubborn like crazy. And we said, we're not, we're hunting this until the season ends. Um, and I mean, day 13, it was like, it doesn't look like I'm going to kill a ram. Like I've waited 10 years and I was almost in tears one night in the tent. He looks at me, he says, smarten up, like we we still have two days to hunt. <laughs> And it was the, it was the next day at 12 o'clock noon, I killed the ram.
0: Man, that is just crazy how things come together sometimes. Like you say, when you start getting towards the end of the hunt, you do start feeling like this, this is probably not going to happen. Yeah, this isn't going to come together for me, but it's amazing when you just keep pushing and keep going, what'll come together. That is wild. So the, um, four fifths, four fifths curl, like, how do you judge that? Like a full curl is breaking the brim of the nose? Is that right?
1: Well, yeah. Like the way they – I don't know how it is everywhere else, but in Alberta, so a four-fifths curl, if you're looking at the ram, perfectly profile, the front – the front, the base of his horn, the very front base of the horn um, that would go down to the bridge of his nose from the very front base of the horn. Um, you have to draw a line through the very front of the eye, um, basically through the tear duct of the eye, and the, the horn has to curl past that point. Okay. So – so that's, that's for four fifths for, for a full curl. I believe it's from the back of the horn through the nostril. Um, I'm not really sure a hundred percent on that. Um, I haven't hunted in full curl zones, so I'm not really sure. I've just, I've paid real close attention to that four fifths.
0: So. <laughs> I bet. Well, and <laughs> yeah, you, don't, a- you
1: don't want to shoot short sheep.
0: Oh, you can't, right? You can't make that mistake, but they're not easy to judge either because you get different angles from down below them or up above them, and that angle appears like he's smaller than he is or that he's larger than he is. So even a perfect profile, there's still a little bit of guesswork that goes into it, so they're not easy to judge.
1: No, it's funny you say that because I laid on that ram. I was 125 yards away, and I had I had a spotting scope. I was laying there. He was bedded um, the first time. Well, I think it was day nine or whatever. And I was 125 yards away. I laid in that snow for three hours before he finally turned his head the right way. And I go, yep, he's legal. So he was he was legal by about an inch on his right side, and his left side was uh, was broomed off short. He was really heavy, good bases. He ended up I think he was 166 or 167 inches um and he was uh he was 11 and a half years old so he was a he was a perfect round to take but yeah it was three hours laying in the snow waiting for him to turn when he turned it was okay yep now i'm convinced before i thought he was legal but i wasn't convinced there would have been no arrows flying yet
0: oh that is wild uh yeah, yeah. that's crazy how old he was too 11 would you mm-hmm. say 11 and a half
1: yeah, eleven and a half years old. That that's what crazy. Uh, that's
0: what they aged them at. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a big old warrior up on the mountain. How cool! And isn't it funny? Like when you're spotting and stalking, and no matter if you're hunting, you know, sheep where you're hunting them, or you're hunting mule deer in the mountains. But whenever you're spotting and stalking, isn't it so tough to keep track of where that animal is? Like you glass them across the drainage. Or across something, and it looks like night and day. It looks like I can't mess this up. I see, right by the big yeah. rock, by the second tree, by the exactly. by the by the red limb, or whatever it is. And you get over there, and it's like you're on a different planet. You can't tell where in the heck you are on the mountain. And all of a sudden, like even when you take really good landmarks and you go, okay, I think that's the rock, and I think that's the tree, like you're still not a hundred percent sure until you see that animal, like. It is so tough to mark landmarks when you're stalking an animal like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, especially when you're coming from different angles, right? You know what I've what I've learned to do in the last couple of years is when I see an animal, it's like, okay, he's in a good spot. He's bedded. Okay, I'm going for him. Uh, yeah, okay, the second little bump over. Yeah, that's where I'm going. Well, you get so eager and you want to go, go, go. I've, I've learned to slow it down and be like, okay, I need to make sure I know exactly where he is. So I pull out my phone. And uh, and I, I take a picture of the landscape and then I put my finger way out and I point right exactly where he's bedded and I take pictures and I make sure I take a bunch of different pictures above and below and to the side where he's bedded and point to it with my finger. Then when I get over there and I start second-guessing myself, I'm like, no, 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 that's the tree. That's the tree. So I, I, I always make sure because your, your brain will start playing tricks on you and you forget it's like, was it second or third ridge? or?
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, that's a really good tip, and that's exactly what I do too is I I take pictures with my camera, multiple pictures with my camera, where that buck's at, and I kind of – like you just take an extra five minutes to just – take stock of the landmarks and and not yeah. only where you're going and where you're coming down but other landmarks around it because it's i mean it's a uh Uh, I don't know how many times you have to learn that lesson before you finally start to take your time a little bit more, but it is, it's like a different planet when you get over there. So yeah, yeah, you take pictures and then when I get over there, I'm zooming in on that picture and trying to tell where I'm at and what I'm, you know, where I'm at on the hillside so I can move down into range. But that's such a great tip. And I I've never done that where you point your finger where the animal is. I mean, most of the time I, I memorize the hillside, but that's a really good tip too is to use your finger to kind of, point where you want to be or where the buck is or, you know, where the ram is or whatever it is so you can mark it. But taking that extra few minutes just to mark his exact location, you're going to be so much more confident when you get over there and you're moving down the ridgeline because I mean I, I've come all the way down the wrong ridgelines before where I think I'm on the right one and I'm not even close and I get down and I look over and, and, and then he's 150 yards over and it's like, oh man, I should have came down the next one. You're kidding me. So, so the you're worst right.
1: Thing is, is- – The worst thing is if you drop down the wrong ridge and the wind's blowing right to him now, it's like, ah, it's over.
0: (laughs) That's just a killer, isn't it? But we all have to make those mistakes a few times. But that's a really good tip is to just really take your time when you're spotting and stalking. And when you spot that animal, mark it, take pictures. And really memorize that landscape. And then, like, I like to memorize my route, too. Like, how am I going to get to that spot? Like, I don't don't just go, like, okay, that rock and that tree is where I want to shoot from. Like, I plan out my stock, and I go, okay, I'm going to wrap around the basin. I'm going to come up high through that that opening up there. Then I'm going to come to the... You know, I'm going to cross the first ridge, the second ridge, and then I'm going to come down the third. I'm going to come down the far side of the ridge so he doesn't hear any rocks rolling. And then, you know, once I get to that spot, then I'm going to creep over the, you know, or whatever it is. But I like to yeah. plan it out from start to finish when I'm planning a stock. But such a good tip um, that was tied into that story, you know, just marking mm-hmm. your spot when you're spotting stalking.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely helps you out. That's for sure.
0: Yep. And so, um, man, what an accomplishment! Congratulations on that sheep. That is so awesome. Well, thanks, I, I bet you look at that thing and just remember that hunt and went what you went through. And and like you say, a lot of it is mental toughness. And I talk about that all the time, but. Uh, and it helps like having a buddy there that's is stubborn or you know I don't know if stubborn or driven or whatever the word is but just uh where you guys can keep each other motivated in the hunt and never let one person get down or talk you out of what you want to do or if you're solo yeah. Don't let yourself talk you talk your way out of the hunt or going down or giving up because you do nothing but regret it when you get home and the only thing you can think about when you get home is being back up on that mountain.
1: Exactly, exactly. You know, it's it's funny that uh, it's funny you say that when you're solo. Um, I was just talking to a buddy tonight here and uh he's uh, he's planning out his mule deer trip for this fall and i said you know i said whatever happens i said i know you're only going for four days but that's a tough area to hunt and when you're down there um it's you're gonna want to give up it's gonna drive you crazy especially if you're solo because there's such long days and uh i said but don't give up because i mean anything can happen like uh i went down there it was several years ago but i went down to the same area where he's going and uh on day four i was i was my plan was i hunt till noon and and pack up and head home and uh on day four nine o'clock in the morning so three hours from quitting time uh, i killed my biggest mule deer 217 inch mule deer um it was three hours from three hours from the end i thought no no it's not gonna happen guess not i saw him but i guess it's not gonna happen and one more little glimpse and that was that wow you can't give
0: up no (laughs) you can't give up and it's You know, I've said it before, but it's amazing when you don't give up what comes together. And bow hunting is so difficult. Like, it's one of the most difficult things out there. It's why we train so much and shoot so much. And it's so easy to, to fub or, you know, to mess up a, a situation or an encounter. Um, but, you know, if you just keep believing and if you keep trying, it's amazing that the impossible can almost come together and you end up shooting a 217-inch a Muley, like you say, with three hours to go. That's just crazy. But it's yeah. wild. Like if you just keep believing and you keep doing everything in your power to be successful, you'd be surprised like how many times things come together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you just have to keep you have to just have to keep pushing. I mean, uh, you, I know you had Stephen Drake on the podcast a while ago, and, and I'm not sure if it's him who came up with the saying, but I remember a couple of years ago, I heard him say it and uh, I've heard him say it a couple of times, but persistence is deadly. And I love that saying. It's just I, I remind a lot of my friends of that. And, and I tell myself all that, that all the time. It's like persistence is deadly. Like if you give up, it's over. But you just got to be persistent, persistent, persistent. You will kill. You just got to be persistent. So, oh,
0: I do like so. that saying. I haven't heard that one yet, or I haven't maybe I heard you say it the other day when we talked on the phone, but you're right. Um, like when I do a lot of writing and I, you know, I do talking on the podcast and different nature, I always say that Successful hunters, the number one trait we have is being persistent, like I you know yeah. you can and being persistent isn 't just like going and having everything going right and killing a huge buck on the last day, like being persistent means that you might miss or you might you mm-hmm. know mess up an encounter or you might but you just keep getting out keep there, pushing. yeah, you just keep going and, and eventually something comes together, but it's so wild that more and more really successful bow hunters I talk to like you believe the same thing that i do like the my number one trade or my number one key to success is persistence
1: yeah yeah for sure and i mean there's i don't know like if you if you look at successful bow hunters you're talking about successful bow hunters and um persistence but the other thing is like preparation um you can't any any consistent bow hunter that's consistently killing good animals um they don't just pull out their bow in early August and okay, I'm going to kill some big deer this year and go for it like they're doing their homework they're scouting they're picking up sheds they're talking to landowners they're they're on google earth they're uh they're reading they're listening to podcasts they're reading tips and tricks they're shooting their bow they're making sure everything is dialed everything is ready for season and it's not uh it doesn't just start in in july or august it's 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 starting right now like we're in we're in march and everybody that is serious about it is serious they're getting their I mean they've got their bows for this year they're picking out their arrows they're fletching those arrows up they're making sure everything's working right they're getting everything ready and they're getting themselves into shape right Um, fitness shooting all kinds of stuff
0: man you're so right like bow hunting is a lifestyle it's 365 Absolutely. days a year because that's the only way you can find success or at least consistent success consistent. is to yep. work at it non-stop and you know i i know like me day in day out i'm always working to get better and i want to be better than i was last season and last season you know i worked really hard at it so it's even harder this season and like you know even tonight i'm getting back from my run i shot my bow i it's just every day it's a lifestyle you know and right now is a fun time we're here in the States. We're researching tags and where we're going to apply and where we want to hunt. But no, you're right. It, it It's like you have to be committed to archery. Archery is not – you know, and, and rifle hunting isn't easy. Like no hunting is easy, but bow hunting is the ultimate. And if you're gonna be a consistently successful bow hunter, you gotta work at it year round. And I, I'm sure the majority of the guys that are listening to this that wanna be successful are working right now at it. And, and it takes a while for that hard work to pay off too. I almost think like you have to get um like how do i put you gotta put
1: in your time
0: (laughs) yeah no yeah you do you've got to pay your dues you gotta learn a
1: lot of mistakes
0: yeah you gotta make a lot of mistakes you gotta pay your dues and like you're you're almost as good as killing a 200-inch muley like before you actually do it or before you find consistent success you have to get that good and so like i always said like uh like the success comes like a couple years after you're ready for it. Like you,
1: you right. have to yeah. just
0: yeah. keep pushing forward and keep driving and keep working at it. And then eventually the success starts to come and you start to find more and more of it. But um, it's almost like you got to pay your dues and even working hard for the first year, like it may not pay off or the second year it may not pay off, but eventually like the third or the fourth year of doing that hard work year after year and all that scouting, talking to the landowners, talking, you know all the stuff that we're talking about eventually it starts to pay off and you start to find that consistent success
1: yeah for sure and I mean even even I've I wouldn't say I'm 100% dialed in now but even simple things like what am I going to put in my pack for for a six seven day hunt what am I putting in there like you go on a lot of trips where it's so funny the first sheep hunt I ever went on was first backcountry sheep hunt I ever went on um I went up the mountain, I get to camp I pull my stuff out of my pack and my buddy looks over and he goes, are you serious? You brought an extra pair of boots. <laughs> well, what, if, what if these ones aren't comfy, right? So, but now, like, it's like I have nothing that comes in my pack is anything that I don't need. So, it's you get that. Finally, you get that dialed in. You get your gear list dialed in. You get everything figured out. And that takes. I mean, you make a lot of mistakes, and and uh, and finally, you figure out which insulation, insulating layers you need, which Gore Tex you need. You figure all that stuff out and uh i mean preparation some guys listening to the podcast right now um might be like yeah dude like i'm a whitetail hunter what like we don't have to prep, prep all year round but you do really right there's always stuff to do whitetail hunters too there's sheds to pick in the spring there's um depending if you're hunting private land there's permission to get if you're hunting crown land you're, the spring is my favorite time once this snow melts i mean we still got lots of snow out here but once this snow melts it's my favorite time to scout out um, properties um, around because before those green shoots of grass come up you can see where all the white tail scrapes were from the fall, fall before you can see all their rubs you can see the lay of the land where the pinch points where the funnels are where all the saddles all the valleys all the little dips and swales you can see all those without the leaves on the trees and without the grass and uh, that gets you dialed in for I mean usually Typically, if you've got a, an area that they're hitting it hard, they're going to hit it hard again next year. Um, so you can get that uh, that jump start um, before the before the grass grows up um, and cutting shooting lanes and setting stands in the summer. So you're not doing it two weeks before you're planning on hunting. Um, and and once again, same thing with whitetail. There's so much pressure when you're sitting there in a tree stand and it's minus 20, minus 30, and you've been sitting there all day and it's like the last five minutes of light. And that white tail comes in the white tail you've been waiting all season for. And if you're not prepared to make that shot, you're going to screw it up. You're going to, if you've got target panic, you're going to shoot over, you're going to shoot under. Um, now is the time of year. I mean, it, I sometimes feel like I'm banging my head up against a wall, but I shoot almost every single night in my garage at six yards and, uh, back tension release and just working on form shot execution, keeping those muscles strong and, uh, and figuring out exactly how you're going to be executing shots and, uh, imagine every arrow. Okay. This is a moose. This is an elk. This is a deer. And you just got to, you just got to focus on picking a spot and shot execution. Cause otherwise you'll, you'll screw it up in the moment of truth. If you're not mentally, mentally prepared, you're hooped.
0: Man, that's so right. I love your expression, uh, hooped. I've never heard that before.
1: Yeah, screwed, hooped, whatever you want.
0: You're done for. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, no, that's a good one. No, but you're so right. Um, yeah, if, you, if you're not working with your gear and working with your equipment right now, like you say – if you're not absolutely dialed in, you mess up that shot when there's pressure on you. And I, I think it's funny how many really good hunters are going to, uh, back tension. You know, I, I made mm-hmm. the, I made the commitment, uh, gosh, I don't, I've I've probably been to it six or seven years now, but yeah, I just started to develop a little bit of target panic and it wasn't bad. I fought my way through it. I was still able to kill animals, but I just had this tendency, you know, with, with the trigger to just make that shot go. And when you make it go, all of a sudden your brain like starts anticipating the shot. And so then your brain won't let you aim at the middle of where you want to hit. Like mine would always aim low. And it was like, my pin would settle low. And like, I would always say, I, I would be the best shot in the world if my pin would just actually settle where I want to hit instead of low, and I didn't have to fight it up and try to make it go. But yeah, once you learn that that back tension, but you have to really commit to it. You, I mean, you can't half yeah. half-ass it you on the back tension. Your, yeah, and and no,
1: you lock up your other releases. You take them away. You hide them. So I don't. I don't hunt with a back tension release. But I shoot with a back tension release. Like for this year, I plan on shooting with a back tension release till basically, till I'm sighting in my broadheads in like August. So that's that's pretty much it. I lock up my other releases and just and just train your brain train your brain just consistently train your brain and then uh, and then pull out the pull out the trigger release and uh and that's that's what I hunt with but it's it's amazing i had such bad target panic uh, this would have been i don't know probably like 5 6 years ago a couple of years before i shot my sheep and uh i remember like it was i was so embarrassed at 40 yards like a 3d target of a of a moose a great big life size bull moose at 40 yards i could not hit a bull moose at 40 yards with my bow <laughs> that's how bad it was oh. and like you say it was just like you hold your pin you, you, and you get so mad at yourself cuz you hold your pin and it's like 2 inches below his belly and it's your 40 pin and it's like i can't bring my hand up, it feels like a concrete weight on that front hand. And it's all, it's all a mental block. It's all a mental thing. And you have to, the only way you can properly get out of that is to go back to the basics, Um, back tension release. I basically, I spent a whole winter in my basement. It was like two yards back tension, release, draw it back, close my eyes, slowly release. Okay. It doesn't hurt you when you pull the trigger. You don't have to worry about missing focus, right? and uh focus, practice 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 and it's it's so funny cuz before i mean you can do all the preparation you want and sometimes the situation just laughs at you um i i i shot the year before i shot that sheep um that summer i shot and i shot and i shot i bought a 7 pin sight and i was like okay i'm sighted in 30 to 90 yards so that's what i'm going to practice at. i really don't want to shoot out that far but i knew sheep was going to be a, a further shots longer shots So I was like, I want to be prepared for this hunt. So I shot, and I shot, and I shot. And it was like everything. My my normal practice was 70, 80, and 90 yards. That's all I shot all summer. And when it came time for hunting season, I went and I shot an elk. It walked by me at five feet, and I shot it at five yards. And then in October, um, I called in a bull moose that wanted to kill me, and I ended up shooting him at three yards, and then I shot my ram at 15 yards. So I didn't even use my 30-pin for whole hunting season (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was prepared but i didn't need it
0: yeah for sure no and it's um so you actually shoot a back tension in practice and then you switch over to your trigger and then do you shoot your trigger in a back tension style
1: yeah like i i I, yeah i i shorten it right up it looks kind of goofy because i shorten it right up so it's uh so with my index finger, you got your first, uh, your first knuckle. I usually bring it right up to my second knuckle so that I can wrap my finger right around it. And once I feel that tension on it, um, then it's basically it's just a matter of pulling with my shoulders, pulling it back a little bit more, and, uh, and I, can, I can feel the tiny little bit. It's only got like, I don't know, maybe 30 thou of creep. It's a scott. Um, it's only got about 30,000 creep in it, but I can feel that creep coming and I can feel it when it lets go. Um, and that's, that's, that's the way to do it. Now that I've got that, it's like, okay, now, now you're executing shots properly. Before it was like out on the fingertip and sometimes you wouldn't even be touching it and it's like, ah, uh,
0: okay, now. <laughs> right yeah now go now right as your pins like guiding through the vitals or something or that's yeah, a drive-by through, shooting yeah <laughs> that's a good description of it drive-by shooting well and you can shoot any release in a back tension style but that's- you just have to be diligent and not go back to your bad habits and i know like my daughter shoots competition but i started her out on a trigger and i taught her back tension you know style of shooting with her trigger release and now you know she beats the majority of the boys and and shoots really, really well, but she's never cheated it. She's a back-tension-style shooter with her trigger and shoots it really well. Um, I went... I went to a back tension release and shot that, you know, and I've shot hinge and in everything, but and then I I like a thumb is what I hunt with. Um I just I can execute really good shots with it and found a little bit more consistency with it. Um but yeah, so I I practice with my thumb, but I just I always shoot it in a back tension style and, you know, always pull 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 until the shot breaks, but um what a game changer for me and it's I'd say it's Absolutely. Like the first year with it is a little tough to get used to. Like I think or you want to
1: throw it across the
0: yard. I think you might. Yep, exactly. And and I think I actually missed the first mule deer I shot at because I I panicked. I got <laughs> I can't remember if I was shooting an actual thumb or an actual back tension out there. Or what what my what I was using, but I got to full draw on a nice muley buck and it was standing out there at forty yards or so. And then I had that same reaction of just make it go. Like I had my trigger and I jerked it. Back and I don't even think that arrow was even close. Way over his back. <laughs> but you almost have to learn those hard lessons and go. No, you gotta sit and execute just like you've done yep. a thousand times this winter. You gotta sit and execute on an animal too. And and when I execute on an animal, I mean it's a dead animal unless you know I get a bad range or something happens. We can all yeah, still miss. And, but yeah. for the yeah. most part, if I sit and execute my shot, it's a dead animal. And and so to to learn that control over a back tension release, it, it's so beneficial for the western hunter i think absolutely yeah no good for you while you're serious about your bow equipment that's really cool you get to hunt uh, moose up there where you're at too you guys have quite a few moose
1: yeah we've got i mean i'm i live basically right in the edmonton bow zone and we've got people don't think we have that much moose but we've got around where i live here it's like one of the highest moose densities in western canada um, they say it's like six to nine moose per square mile it's crazy. Oh, there's wow. lots of moose here. Yeah. There's lots of moose here. So it's an over-the-counter tag. Um, I think, I don't know, I think I've shot like a dozen of them with my bow. Um, it's it's great. And you don't have to have great big properties. So I shoot some of them on, and it's almost all private land around here. Um, I've shot most of mine on private land um, on properties as small as 40 acres. Um, and, uh, I had a friend, Wade, uh, Wade James came up this, this fall. I hosted him. We're allowed to host, uh, one American every three years. Um, so I hosted him. He stayed, uh, stayed with us. And on day six, he shot a really nice bull, um, 42 inch bull. And that was actually, that was on crown land. Um, so called that bull in and he shot it at seven yards. It was pretty, pretty cool experience. He was able to notch one off the bucket list there.
0: Oh, that's way cool. So crown land, what's crown land?
1: Sorry, public land, okay. uh, basically government-owned.
0: Okay, gotcha. Um, so man, anybody can go on it. How cool. And and what species of mu- moose are you hunting up there, Craig?
1: Yeah, so these are the Canadian moose. Okay. So if you go way, way southern Alberta, I think you guys have the Shirus moose. That's correct. Um, and then you've got to go basically Alaska Yukon. you got to go way, way north to get the Alaska Yukon moose. But we're, we're Canadian moose here in central Alberta.
0: Okay. Yeah, way cool. And so, and it seems like um, you kind of hunt them like you hunt whitetails. Then, when you're talking properties, do you hunt them out of a tree stand or spot and stalk? Yeah, it's,
1: or? it's funny. Almost almost all the ones that I've shot, it's uh, I basically know the swamps, know the areas where they're hanging around. Do my do my springtime preparation of uh, heading out there and finding rubs, finding rut pits, and stuff like that. And then set up a tree stand on the edge of a little slough bottom, and get up there. You sneak in there and do a bunch of calling. And I do a bunch of cow calling, bull calling, and uh, I usually call them in. And it's it's usually a thirty yards or less shot, so they yeah. they do come in there. They take a while to commit. You just got to know how to talk to them. You just got to sweet talk them.
0: Okay, so you talk mostly cow cow sounds.
1: Yeah, mostly cow sounds. I mean, it depends. What it all depends on what stage of the rut they're in and, and what they're doing, how they're acting. Um, usually, it's cow calls. Um, the one bull that I mentioned that I shot at three yards uh, a couple years back, I was in my tree stand. I'm cow calling away, and uh, this was on a forty acre property. And I'm cow calling away, and this bull grunts to me. I'm like, okay, here he comes, and he grunts again. He grunts again. He grunts again, but he's not coming any closer. And he's on the neighbor's property. And I'm like, ah, oh, man. He, he's not coming so i waited a cow called again okay he grunted and he was coming closer to me and then he went back and he was grunting i'm like okay hey, he's got a cow he's with a cow so the only way i'm gonna win is to challenge him so i climbed down out of my tree stand and uh i just turned to bull grunts and started heading straight for him and it, everything was silent he wasn't grunting back to me and i got about probably about 150 yards from him and uh I decided to rake a tree, and as soon as I raked that tree with a with a log, all hell broke loose, and he he decided it was time to come. So I jumped up on the log and looked down this little cut line, and he came he came barreling out of the bush, uh, full head of steam, running straight for me, grunting, and uh, he was galloping straight at me. And I'm like, oh gee, he's coming fast. So I jumped off the log, and and he came to about twenty yards and uh, started raking a tree and grunted. So I sort of cupped my hand and grunted back behind me. And he came straight towards me, and he rubbed another tree. He was five, so he's five yards away from me. Think of this thousand, thousand-pound bull moose. He's a forty-inch bull. He's a good bull, and he's rubbing this tree, this poplar tree that's about, I don't know, it's about four inches in diameter. And he's uh, he's five steps away, and he's rubbing this tree, and all the leaves on it from it are falling down and they're actually landing like they're landing on my shoulders and in my hoodie and uh, <laughs> it was crazy He was and then his eyes rolled back in his head um, and he started drooling he pinned his ears back and he started swaying his head and he just whoa, whoa, and he started walking by me and I slowly drew back and when he was at three yards I shot and, uh, and smoked him right in the heart and he went like six steps and he stopped and he turned and he looked back and wobbled a little bit and tipped over right there. And uh, I I went down to my knees. I couldn't even stand. It was just, it was such a rush. I couldn't even stand anymore. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, so for that, it was cow calls was working to get him talking, but he wouldn't commit. And then as soon as he heard another bull coming for the cow that he was with, that was that was it. Game over. He's coming to kill me.
0: <laughs> that is wild. What a heart-pounding encounter. Well, it was um, a rush. Yeah, that doesn't get any better than that, especially with like a... With a bow and a sharp stick in your hand, and he's on the other side of the tree rubbing it. That is wild, man.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, man. Yeah,
1: that's for sure.
0: Yeah, what a cool encounter. Um,. Geez, yeah, and to kill a nice bull like that, so close, and to have, like, and you get to have those experiences every year with moose, and I love your terms for different things. A rut pit is great. I'd never heard that one either. Um, but, yeah, how cool. So you hunt them during the rut and then try to do call sequences and use your stand, but this one you got down on the ground and ground level and shot him that close. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah you got
1: to gotta do what works.
0: And then to have them fall, like, it, Arrows are just such a lethal killing machine. I mean, oh, a thousand quick. pound animal and, you know, sometimes they, they run off and make it a hundred yards and die, but to, to, to fall down and die within 20 steps of where you shot him is pretty wild.
1: Yeah. Like this, this thing died from when my arrow went through to when he crashed. It was, it wasn't 10 seconds.
0: Oh, it was, man.
1: it was fast. It was fast. He was pumping pretty good.
0: Oh that is so wild. So you hunt moose every year and then like it sounds like that sheep you got like on uh, like a uh, 10 years of applying and got that and then you hunt yeah, whitetails really button. hard. I saw like you killed a really nice whitetail this year and I don't hunt many whitetails but I have a ton of respect for them because it's like they're they're such a smart deer species that lives on such a small track of land that you don't see very often they get so smart at living on a small track of land and not being you know killed or not being seen very often so they're a real wily deer and i i've hunted them a little bit and harvested a couple but um i i haven't really got into it um but i but i want to i want to experience it. a lot of it is all private land here in montana and we get one tag. It's either a muley or a whitetail. So I usually end up going for muleys. I know which
1: one you go for. <laughs> yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. But I do want to embark on hunting those. But you killed just a giant this year. He had like a, a couple drop tines or stickers or something, if I remember right. Yeah,
1: he was... He was a pretty cool deer. He wasn't, he wasn't a super, super old deer, but, uh, he was definitely a cool deer. Um, it was basically a mainframe. We call him a four by four up here. So I think lots of people call him like an eight pointer. Um, and he had three, three big, three big drop tines. I think one was like nine inches long. One was seven inches long and one was like. Five or six inches long. So yeah, he was uh, he was a really really cool deer. Um, I think he was 157 inches is what he grossed. Um, anyway, he was yeah he was a cool deer. Um, I knew he was on there. I got pictures of him in May, and then I got pictures of him in July, and then uh, then in September, uh, I knew he was in there. So I waited till waited till I figured I could call him in because I didn't have him fully patterned on a uh, on a feeding pattern or anything and snuck into his bedroom there in November and first rattling sequence of the year in that tree stand and rattled him in at 25 yards and and shot him. So I've actually got the, uh, I, I managed to remember to press record. I had the camera up in the tree with me and uh, recorded that. So that one is actually going to be uh, the hunting film tour, uh, tours across uh, uh, Western Canada and the States. Um, that, uh, that film of that deer should be, should be, Rocking and rolling on the tour next year is the plan.
0: Oh, how cool! Congratulations! Yeah, that's not easy to Thanks. do to capture it. Did you edited it all yourself and then entered it into the tour?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Oh man, it's <laughs> it's crazy, crazy. I, I, it was an eye opener this year for sure. I mean, I. I did a whole bunch of B-roll footage. I basically did everything myself, um, all solo, all solo filming, um, everything. And, uh, I think there was, there was one, one little clip in there where I got my dad to twist the focus ring, um, shooting in my backyard. But other than that, everything was all me. I did it all. Um, it was a lot of work, uh, and I edited the whole thing and I've got about, I think I put about 40 hours of editing into that. And, uh, a lot of professional editors will probably be laughing at me for that, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> how long it took me to do it, right? I was I was learning how to do it at the same time, and I, I'm happy with the I'm happy with the finished result. Man,
0: finished. I I can't wait to watch it. That and then I think you have a moose film too, right? That um is that your buddy's moose that he killed? Or yeah. Do you okay? So yeah, yeah, so
1: that's his moose from this year. Okay, and, uh, from this past year. And, uh, he, I, basically we hunted together. Um, I did a lot of the footage. He, he showed me, he taught me a lot about how to film and stuff like that and what to do and, and some little tips and, and creative stuff. Um, the guy's got a super creative eye. That's Wade James. Um, and if people want to watch that moose film, it's, it's free. It's on the internet. Um, it's at guidefitter.com. So even if you go into your, uh, Google search results and, uh, type in guidefitter and it's called opportunity knocks. Um, and that's, uh, that's a moose film. I think it's, I don't know. I think it's like eight or 10 minutes long and, uh, it's, you get to see a bull moose shot at seven yards out of a tree stand over the shoulder. It's pretty cool.
0: Man, that is way cool. You sent me the link. I didn't get a chance to watch it. I sure should have like the days just got away from me here, but I've, I've got a note sitting next to me, so I'm going to watch it tonight when we get off this podcast, but yeah, um, Cool. man, that is awesome, yeah, good for him, and what a great experience you were you were able to share with him, like where you live up there and able to bring him up and 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 show him a good moose like that and get it killed and that sounds like that wasn't an easy hunt either. You guys had to keep at it,
1: yeah, no that was that was a that was a mental toughness hunt um that was the morning of day six that we killed it, and I don't think we we hadn't seen a shooter bull before that. So that was the first first shooter moose, and uh, called that in. That was public ground, called it in, and he shot it. And I mean, he was he was he was pumped. He was thrilled. I was, I, when I help people shoot an animal, it to me that's like I get just as much of a rush as if I was to pull the trigger. So uh, to to be able to watch Wade um, with his excitement of of killing something that he may never get a chance at again, right? Like he was like, dude, I can't afford a moose hunt. And I said, no, it's cheap. All you have to do is basically pay to get up here and it's like 400 bucks for tags and you're rocking and rolling. Stay in my house and we'll hunt together and that's it. So yeah, they have, Alberta has a hunter host program. It's pretty, pretty good. Um, I can't accept any money or anything like that. It's basically just, you bring a buddy or, or family and, uh, and do that every, I think it's every three years I'm able to do that. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool opportunity to be able to share with him.
0: Oh yeah. How cool. And then to capture the whole thing on film to boot, um, that's just awesome. But yeah, and I can't wait to watch your whitetail film. You say that's um, what's the deer tour called again, where your whitetail film's going to be on?
1: It, it's called the Hunting Film Tour. So there's uh, the uh, Gary Gillette is who owns it, and uh, anyways it travels across. It it's sponsored by Sitka Gear, and it starts out. Uh, I think the tour usually starts out in Bozeman, and they have a big uh, big rigmarole, big party down there in I think it's July or August. Um, is when that'll be starting. And, uh, basically they rent out theater. Same thing as a full draw film tour. Um, basically they rent out a theater, sell tickets, and, uh, and people go. And, and if you follow that page, Hunting Film Tour, uh, Instagram page, uh, you'll see, uh, or their website, you'll see when the, when the tour is, is going about.
0: Oh, that's so wild. Yeah, good for you. Congratulations on that film. That's awesome. And, and so, like, like all the filming and, and, you know, you've been able to kind of start to make a name for yourself. You've got kind of a writing gig going now for some different publications and you're writing for us over there at Eastman's and um, the hunting industry is one of the toughest industries to break into. It's staying near like deciding you want to be a movie star. And, and so like, how did you get your start in the hunting industry?
1: It's, it's kind of funny, kind of funny you say movie star. Um, I, I, leading into everything, I thought, you know, I'd really like to be able to get some more opportunities, to be able to do more hunting that I like to do. I don't ever, ever want to be famous. I don't ever want to get rich. I don't want this to be my full-time job. I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy with the life that I live. I just want to have some more opportunities, get connected with some really great people, really great companies, and uh, and go from there. So um, I've got a friend here. Uh, his name's Kevin Wilson. And uh, he connected me with a couple magazine companies and with the editors and and uh, I got talking with them and they said, well, why don't you submit us submit us an article or two and see see what you think, see what we think of it. And so I submitted to them and they're like, oh, we, we we like your writing, we like your pictures. Can can we can we publish it? And I was like, pooh. Heck yeah, giddy up, let's go! So I've been writing for them uh, a couple of magazines here, uh, Western Canada and stuff like that. Um, I've wrote a couple articles. Uh, my actually my bighorn was in Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, um, and then I had another article just this past fall. Uh, it was published in Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal for a deer, that, a white tail that I shot last year. Um, and I don't know, it's 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 like you say, it's a really it is a tough industry. Um, there's a lot of competition. A lot of people that want to be want to be in it. Um, everybody has their different different reasons for wanting to be involved in the in- industry, um, and I, I get a lot of a lot of questions from a lot of friends like whoa, dude how, how did you how did you get that connection or how did you get that opportunity? And honestly it, it all boils down to um, being consistent number one. Um, but the underlying thing is, is integrity. Um, you have to be squeaky clean. you can't you can't be you can't cheat, you can't lie. Um, and you can't steal uh, when you're when you're talking with companies that uh, you have to think about it in a business from a business standpoint too, right? Um, if you're wanting to connect with a company, um, you got to put yourself in the company's shoes. Um, the company does not want to connect with you uh, just. To give you a whole bunch of free gear and get nothing in return. They're doing it from a business standpoint. Um, so you have to be respectful of that and mindful of that. And, uh, and it's not, it's not, a, it's not playing a mind game. It's, it's basically when I, I've, a, I've been connected with a few really good companies out there. And, uh, when I've got connected, um, I say to them straight up, I'm not in this to make a whole bunch of money. I'm not in this to get rich. I want to build a relationship. A long-term relationship where I can provide you with things that are going to make you money, and in turn, you guys are going to treat me well and uh, and give me some chances and give me some, some cool opportunities. So, I mean, with that, you got to be loyal. Um, if if you knock on the door at first and they don't let you in, or they say, ah, oh, you know, our, our our team is full right now, um, it's that's not the end of the world. Uh, there's there's certain companies that i mean i've worked 4 years for to try to get on with a certain company and uh finally after 4 years it was like okay you know what you, you're loyal you, you stuck around you, you've been you continuing to push and, and uh and do your thing and you kind of a breath of fresh air cuz you're you're honest right um and i think i think the hunting industry needs more As as cheesy as it is, I think the hunting industry needs more honesty, um, more integrity, more loyalty. Um, And we need to we need to also remember that we're not uh, we're not in this alone by ourselves, we're in this as a, as a collective group, right? Hunters as a whole, um, whether somebody wants to hunt an animal a different way than you do with a different weapon than you do. Um, I've, I've shot a lot of animals with a rifle as well. And, uh, I still, I mean, I shot an antelope with a rifle last year and I have nothing against rifle hunters. Um, and I think as bow hunters, we need to respect rifle hunters. We need to expect, uh, respect crossbow hunters. We need to, need to respect basically any, anybody that's doing anything legally, we need to be respectful to them um, because that's uh, that's where I mean, a guy driving a truck shouldn't be judging a guy driving a car to go to work. He's you're getting you're doing basically the same end result. We're bringing meat home for our freezer. And however you want to do that within the law, um, that's your choice. And, and uh, if, it, if it makes you happy and, and that's where you want to go, go for it. But, uh, yeah, the industry as a whole is, is very tough to get into. Um, but the biggest thing is, is be yourself, be respectful, be transparent. Um, cause my mom had this old saying, truth stands the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. Um, if you cheat and, uh, you cheat and you're in it for the wrong reasons, you'll be exposed and it won't, uh, you won't, you won't go very far and you won't build yourself a good name within the industry. Um, everybody knows somebody. It's amazing how many people are connected um it's a it's a really it's a really tight small industry and and if you and if you screw people over uh word gets around and nobody's going to want to be connected with you
0: man you're so right yeah you hit the nail on the head with a lot of what you're talking about it is Um, sticking together you made so many good points that I want to touch on but yeah sticking together as a whole like you can't don't try to downplay everybody you see out there be happy for other Mm -hmm. guys however they get it done and and you know a really successful hunter makes those around him better and just like Mm -hmm. you said with your buddy Wade that you were just as happy with him killing that animal as if you did like a a good hunter tries to make his buddies better around him like I know you know I'm always on hunts with buddies and you're always trying to help them out to accomplish their goals and like you say I'm just as happy or almost more so when they get it done you know because I I know how much hard work they put into it and how thrilled they are with it but but that extends to even you know to, to social media or to you know wherever that is when you see somebody being successful don't just try to say well oh he shot it with a rifle or oh he shot it from a stand or oh you know there's a there's a million of those things you can save for everything and you're just trying to like you're trying to pet your own ego you're trying to make yourself feel better about the way you do it and yeah some ways are more difficult to get get it done you know a bow is a really difficult way to get it done but then again you could take it a step further and then you got traditional guys and traditional guys mm-hmm. can look at us compound guys and say oh it's a wheel bow oh it's twi- it's training wheels or i don't care what he right. does i only care what traditional guys do but you got to have respect for everybody and for what everybody's doing out there and you have to be happy for guys and and i think you find happiness you know yourself when you just start being happy for other people and you're not You know, you're competitive with yourself. You want to be better, a better hunter for you, but, but you don't, you're, you're not trying to be better than everybody else out there, you know? And so I, I think that's a good point there. And, and you're right. The hunting industry is really tough to break into and, and you're kind of got into it the same way I did where I just, I love to bow hunt or I love to hunt and I just want to be able to hunt more. And so. Like if I could make a little bit extra doing it, or if I could get some gear paid for, that just allowed me more days in the field or to be able to take more days off. And so, you know, I never sure. paid attention in English class at all. Like I was too <laughs> interested. I was like in into wrestling back then and sports, and um, you know, I'd get you know I'd get good enough grades to be able to do that, but I I didn't apply myself because us guys like us boys we just learn different we have to be totally interested in something and then you know we'll just we'll, we'll apply ourselves to the nth degree to learn everything about that and, and and that's when i started getting into writing is i started reading some of these writer stuff and and i started thinking man i i think i'd like to do that i think i'd like to submit things and in same way with i just started uh going on these adventure hunts and, and learning as much as i could and being as good a hunter as i could be and i started to find consistent success and then I could I could write about this consistent success and after you start to write you start to build a name and then and then you've got something to take to these companies and go you know hey here's here's a few photos of the last animals I've harvested you know this is this is what I believe in here's some articles that I've written like I I really enjoy you know this portion of it this is what I offer to your company and you're right you can't just be on a search to get paid or on a search to get free gear like you have to think what you can offer to these these other companies, and when I could start to offer to be pictured in using, you know, their bow or their camel or their whatever, all of a sudden you've got a leg to stand on. And I'm the same way. A lot of these companies that I've wrapped over the years, like it's taken me years to get on their staff. Like I build yeah. a connection with the manager of the staff, and I call them one year and they're full, and I say, "Well, I love your equipment. I'm going to keep using it. I'm going to send you some pictures next year when I'm when I'm successful." And I check in the next year, and I. You know, i i don't I don't bug them nonstop, but every year I'm checking in with them and letting them know yeah. that I believe in your gear and you your gear up. only. Yeah, you're the ones that I that I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of your yeah. team, but. I think you know everybody wants to know or I get that question how to get into the industry, and it is. It's just like learn how to be a good hunter first, and like you have a really good point with integrity and truth and following the rules. And you had a, a good story you told me where you had a really nice bull – I think it was this year – that you could have shot, and it was light enough to shoot it. You could see your pins, but it was five minutes past shooting light, and you didn't shoot that bull, and you ended up killing a cow. Was that this year? Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was just this past November. Yeah. It's, It's, uh, yeah. If you, I mean, I could have shot that moose and there's nobody in the world other than me that would have known it, but it's cheating. It's, it's illegal. It's, it's, I don't care if it's two minutes past it's that's poaching. Right. Um, so rules are rules and you got to follow those rules and yeah, I didn't get a bull. I, I shot a cow and she tastes delicious, but, uh, I, yeah. I didn't get the bull. And it, it was actually three bulls and all three were 40 inch plus bulls and they were at 15 yards broadside, but, uh, rules are rules. And, and you have to, you have to stick with that. Cause I mean, I don't want to hang a moose like that on the wall. Cause I'm going to walk by it. And every time I see it, I'm gonna be like, Oh, Oh, you cheated that one. But the one I wanted to jump back to one thing that you said there about, about us all as hunters sticking together kind of thing. And, um, I see so much negativity on social media and it's really disappointing when, um, when you've got, uh, when you've got somebody that puts, a, puts a post on there, um, it takes courage to put a post on there, but then, then you see other people tearing them down for that post, whether it's a smaller animal or, or whether it's not the greatest trophy shot or, or whatever it is. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. It's, it's so easy to be judgmental and be rude and put a rude comment on there. But you, you got to think about it in the fact that you're not pulling ahead anywhere in this world by doing that. Number one, you make the person feel like crap um, that you posted it on. Everybody that reads that picture, reads that post, sees a picture, sees the post and they're like, what a jerk. So now all of a sudden you've made yourself look like a fool and it hasn't pulled you ahead at all in any way. So rather than doing that, Either move on, don't follow, don't look at the pictures that you don't want to look at, or you can be positive, you can be kind, you can be supportive and, uh, and comment, hey, great job, congratulations on the deer. Now you've just shown that person respect. You've made them feel better about themselves. You've made them put more effort now into hunting and into shooting bigger stuff, more mature stuff, wh- whatever it is. Um, and, and it doesn't, it doesn't do, it doesn't do any harm to, um, give someone a compliment. Um, I don't know the last time that I complimented somebody and they were rude in return. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't hurt to compliment people. So I think as as an industry in the whole, we just need to remember that we need to compliment people, um, regardless of whether it's something that we would do or not. If it's legal and if they look like they were proud of it, compliment them. It doesn't hurt.
0: No, you're right. We need to support everybody out there and and everybody's on different levels and different paths and different enjoyment in hunting and um like you say you can't just make Th- this blanket statement to somebody that oh you know there's blood in the picture you like you can't just tear people down and two you're not happy when you're doing that like you're comparing no. yourself to everybody and you're in this competition in your own head and and you're not going to be happy like the the more you can just be happy for somebody whatever it is they did or whatever accomplishment they had if they're happy you're happy and try to give them encouragement man that is just the the best way to go and and I've noticed like I haven't seen too much negativity between hunters. Like I've seen a lot of positivity um, like, like on Instagram, I've been so impressed with all the positivity on there. Uh, there's a lot of guys that are, that are really encouraging that are happy for other guys that, that aren't getting jealous. So there's a lot of positivity out there. You know, I think Absolutely. it's just that case of a few giving, giving the, the majority a bad name here or there. But for the most part, I think guys are really coming around and really encouraging other people, you know, to, Get out and and enjoy themselves and, and and to be successful and be proud of it because you're right it it does take courage to put any post up there and, and especially somebody brand new to it and sticking a post up there and they get a negative comment it may ruin That's them from way to crush them yeah yep. for sure absolutely so no you make a really good point and and yeah the industry just it is about integrity and it's about doing the right thing like that bull moose and and as you start to get more and more successful. I mean the the you know they start to look at you closer you know with a fine to with a microscope what you do and how you do it you know I know me being being, watched yeah yeah me being successful you start killing big bucks and big bulls. You know, people start paying attention, and a a lot of guys, there's jealousy where they, you know, call you in and and you're investigated by wardens and you you know, so there there's some other stuff that goes on in there where you have to make sure you are always doing the right thing because the the more momentum you get in the industry, just the more somebody you know wants to prove you're doing it the wrong way, and then they can just say, well, he w- he was poaching, you know, that's why he killed big animals, and and, and so they just want to find an excuse why you're killing those good animals, so. You're right. You gotta be squeaky clean with everything you do and every choice you make. Integrity. And what what was your mom saying again? I gotta remember that one too. About truth, truth?
1: Yeah, truth stands the test of time, but lies are soon exposed.
0: Man, it's, that's so uh, it's spot a Bible on. verse
1: and it's just it's yeah, it's that one. I used to be a I used to be a liar as a little kid quite a bit, and I remember sitting at the kitchen table, she said, Okay, you're gonna write I don't know, it was like a hundred or two hundred lines and you'd have to write truth stands a test of time and lies are soon as seven years old and you're sitting there, this is the last thing I want to do when it's sunny and my buddies are outside playing and you're writing over and over and over just trying to get a, get you out of that lying habit and well, it worked, I don't lie anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, and it gives you so much confidence in life too. You know, when you're, you're always telling the truth and you're, you're always speaking the truth, whether it's your stories or when you tell somebody, it just starts to give you confidence as a man or confidence as a human, you know, to where, I, I don't know. It, it's just, it's such a, when you're always telling the truth and you're always truthful, like it just gives you more confidence as a person in who you are and what you represent.
1: Absolutely. And there's nothing to hide then.
0: Yeah, exactly. Man, so awesome. Well, yeah, you're such a breath of fresh air, Craig. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you. I gotta have you on again. You're just a diehard bow hunter, and I think we could make this go for two hours. Um, but you've been really successful consistently. Um, you made a name for yourself. Like you say, look for your writings. It's gonna be in the Eastman's blog. I think you've got like th- three projects you're working on. Is one already out? Is that correct?
1: Uh, I sent one into them just uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm not sure exactly when they're, when they're planning on putting that one on. I got another one with a due date here of April 15th. So, uh, one should be coming up fairly, fairly soon here in the spring, I would think.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then um check out your Instagram. Your social media is really good, Craig. You've got really good posts on there. You really work hard on your photography. Um but uh yeah, man, you just have some awesome shots that are um that are inspiring and motivating to look at and, and you're just a, a diehard bow hunter. I know you're preparing three hundred sixty five and I I can't wait to see what you turn up this year. So what's your Instagram, Craig?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. It's at Craig Temple.
0: At That's Craig it. Temple. Easy yeah. enough. Yep, so uh, give them a follow on Instagram, and then also check out uh your film that's coming up of your whitetail, and that's – uh say the De- deer tour one more time for me, Craig.
1: Yeah, the hunting film tour.
0: The hunting film tour. Okay, I just didn't want to get that wrong. There's a couple different film tours around, and I get one stuck in my head and didn't want to say the wrong one. But make sure yeah. you check uh, Craig out, and Craig, man, it's really good to talk to you. We have to keep in touch and, and do this again sometime.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was a blast. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much for asking me. And uh, and anytime, give me give me a ring, and I'd be I'd be more than happy to sit here and chat hunting with you for another hour sometimes. So Sounds maybe like a we'll plan. Uh, maybe we'll have to share a campfire someday too.
0: Oh, I'd love to. Let's make it happen. So thanks again, right Craig. On. Really fun.
1: Yeah. Have a good one. Thanks, buddy. Bye.
0: All right, guys. That's a wrap. Um, boy, Craig Temple. Just a great guest and a, and a great guy. I really had a lot of fun with that one. I, you know, I want to start getting reoccurring guests on here that are, that are really good at speaking and have a ton of passion and a ton of knowledge. So, I'm gonna start hitting up these guys to, to do other episodes. And Craig Temple's gonna be on that list. He's just a super guy. So, um, that was a really fun one. Um, Uh, Again, so this is brought to you by Liberty Safes. Um, Check them out, you guys. Best safes made. Um, Protect your valuables. You know, have a place in your house where you can lock your stuff up. Um, And again, Eastman's is doing a giveaway for the 30th anniversary. Where they're going to give away a Liberty safe. So make sure you guys subscribe to the magazine. As as us writers, just pour our heart and soul into those articles. You know, I I I know I sit down and write and rewrite, and I just want to get those things perfect to where you know, I, I'm inspiring guys out there and, and I'm also, I, I'm, I'm, it's the truth. It's, it's what I do to be successful. And I just try to scratch that down on paper because it isn't easy out there on, on public lands and, and public land trophies. And, and, uh, so the more knowledge we have, the better we're going to be out there. So make sure you guys subscribe to the magazine and check that out. And, and, uh, Boy, with that, I mean, we're just going to keep getting out these episodes. Again, I appreciate all the support, you guys. Um, We've got some good ones coming up. I think we're going to try to do a double release this week to where we release two podcasts in one week just to give you guys a a bonus episode. Um, So, man, we're just going to keep at it. Uh, I've, I've been working hard. I've been getting in all my runs, shooting my bows, messing with my stuff, really getting excited for this season. I just... Uh, just got put in for New Mexico, all the tags I want to put in for there, uh starting to put in for these other states and plan out my season and and uh I always plan way too much, but um i i 'm just gonna go for it this season you know i i've saved my pennies and and uh got the got my construction business to a good place, and so i'm just gonna really take some time and and uh i'm gonna hunt as as, as much as I can and as hard as i can and and i'm gonna make sure i 'm prepared by the time I get there. I'm uh, going to try to have myself in, in the absolute best shape I've ever been in. I'm going to try to plan all my gear out, my food, have have everything ready to rock and roll, and try to kill some of these next – next level trophies, you know, I'm hoping that I'll get the opportunity to capture some more of these on video and, and, uh, get a chance at that and, and just show off some of these places I hunt and some of these public land grounds I hunt. So man, I am just getting psyched about 2017 and it, it all starts off with, with spring bear. So, um, just really getting pumped for that, making sure all my gear is dialed and ready to go chase some of these big pumpkin head boars around here, around Montana. So, um, man, I just couldn't be more excited about hunting season and the way things are going here and and uh, just gonna continue to work hard, and and want you guys to do the same. Hard work pays off. Um, you know, just the harder you work at something, and the more you dedicate yourself to the cause, you know, you know, you're gonna see that return. And it it doesn't always come, you know, when you expect it to. Like you don't always see the results you want, you know, right now. But but eventually, all that hard work pays off, and you start laying down some really good trophies. So uh, keep working hard out there, guys. Keep getting ready for season. It's right around the corner and and uh i'll check in with you next week or, or i'll check in with you later this week uh, like i say we're gonna i think we're gonna do a, a double episode this week give you guys some more content so we'll get that released so i'll check in with you again this week um and we'll get another episode out so uh thanks again guys for all the support and and uh, uh keep doing what you're doing.